0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers' Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Seb Stafford-Bloor from Tifo Football, and the broadcaster, Jordan jarrett Bryan. It's a funny old game. Manchester United have been through the mill this season. They've been mocked, criticised and second-guessed. Hands up, we've often doubted the managerial ability of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yet, they're unbeaten in 13 and playing with pace, penetration and fluency. They kick off the FA Cup quarter-finals at Norwich on Saturday. Now, it doesn't take too much to imagine them winning the trophy at a deserted Wembley, does it, Jordan?
2: <laughs> no, it doesn't. I, I think they'll be one of the favourites to, to lift the FA Cup, considering, I mean, form is a bit of a nebulous term right now. We've only a couple of games back in since the pandemic and lockdown, but... I, I, I was one of those people that was very, very critical of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I, I still, when I close my eyes, can't still understand how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the Manchester United manager. That for me still, even now, I'm. I, it hasn't computed yet. It just feels wrong in so many ways. And I've been critical of him being the guy that will take United back to glory. However... I'm a fair guy. I'm I'm the harshest critic when I think it's when I think it's valid, but I'm the I'm you know you got to give praise where it's due also as well. He's he's with the signing of Bruno Fernandes. It's a little bit like he's waved the wand and everything seems to have gone his way. I still don't think he's the guy to take them back to the where they really ultimately want to be, but I think he is the guy that could win them an FA Cup. And I think that the, the the current squad that he's got, the momentum that he's got, the players back from injury that he's now got. I, I don't see Norwich causing them any problems in this particular fixture. And I think I don't think they'll be fearful of anybody left in the competition. I don't think people will be shaking their boots playing them particularly. But I don't think they will be looking at anybody left and thinking, "Ah, oh, we want to avoid them. I think that with the Pogba, Fernandes, slash, I guess, I don't know, McTominay, Matic, Axis... That is something that I think can get them to the end of the season and really give them a, a drive to try and get that Champions League spot and nail the cup. But I will give Solskjaer some credit, all caveating by saying that I still don't think he's a brilliant manager and I don't think he's the guy that they want long-term to get them back to where they want to be.
0: What does he have to do, Seb, to prove himself to you? Because I know you were probably nodding assiduously when uh, Jordan was
1: speaking there. I want to... <laughs> <laughs> see Jordan's a fair guy and I'm not I'm stubborn and I, my opinions. I will die on all sorts of hills and especially with this Mike I have to see a bit more organic growth we've mentioned Aaron Wan-Bissaka before and he's evolved as a footballer over the course of the year that's very impressive what I want to see is improvement over a long period of time which doesn't depend on spending 60 million pounds on a playmaker like because it's unfair to, to criticize a manager for something he can't distance himself from but then it's it it, it completes the issue, doesn't it? If you can spend that amount of money in the middle of a season and bring a player of the quality of Bruno Fernandes into your side, then I don't really know how to separate the two things. I want to see consistent top four finishes for a couple of years. I want him to evolve tactically. So I want to see Manchester United win big games against high-powered opponents where it doesn't just involve them sitting deep and breaking. I think, let me let me just clarify, because I'm not criticising him for that strategy. I just mean that from a bystander's point of view, from an analytical point of view, it becomes very difficult to know what he is if his major successes to this point always depend on the same mechanism. And I know I've been harsh. And actually, I'll I'll row back on it a little bit. I think he's done a lot better than I thought he was going to. When that first run of form ended in his first season, I didn't think he was going to come back from that. I thought that was terminal. He's proved me wrong there. But do I feel that he can compete? Do I feel, for instance, that he, over the course of a 38-game season, could outsmart someone like Jurgen Klopp if the two teams were equal? No. Do I think he could do it with Guardiola? No, despite the fact that he's beaten Guardiola several times in one off fixtures. I think Manchester United's future will be determined by their dexterity, by their ability to beat different types of sides across an eight-month year in all kinds of competition. And I haven't seen that yet. I've seen him... Improve. I've seen him grow as a manager, absolutely. I've seen Manchester United get much better in all sorts of departments. But are these things consistent? Is this a permanent state? I'm not not ready yet to sign that off.
0: Yeah, what struck me, obviously Sheffield United have hit a a wall. But what did strike me about that performance on Wednesday night, the way that United played with a fluency that we haven't seen before, especially in that little sort of Rashford, Fernandes, Pogba triangle as it as it were you know the, the, there was a, there was signs of people beginning to understand one another and you know a relationship growing and obviously Pogba's not been around that was his first start since September so you look at that and you think well there is something here and again to play devil's advocate there I look at Solskjaer he can't be criticized for taking advantage of Manchester United's you know, financial advantages, can he? You know, and, and Bruno Fernandez has come in and had a huge impact. Do you think that this is almost gonna be this FA Cup, it could could even be the start of the
2: Solskjaer era? Will we be talking in those terms? I don't think so. Only because I think said made a really good point about, and you kind of just backed up there, about he can't be blamed for the fact that he's at a club with, with financial might. Well, my kind of uh, counter to that is, what well, if you take out Bruno Fernandes, does it all fall apart then? Mm-hmm. And I think any manager that kind of relies on one or two quality players and that their success depends on that rather than a system like we're seeing at at Manchester City. You can take out Kevin De Bruyne from Manchester City. You can take out two or three of their top players at Manchester City, but the system still stands in place for them to have a template to to play football and and be successful. I, I think I I just don't see him anywhere near. I think he's two levels below the calibre of of Klopp and Pep Guardiola. I think that he's gonna have to try and etch above the likes of Frank Lampard. I think Jose Mourinho's on the slide, so maybe he's in that kind of that kind of race. I, I just don't see, even with, say, a Sancho and a better centre-back, because I'm still not convinced about Maguire. I'm not a big fan of his. I still think, as a manager... Manchester United Football Club needs somebody that has more layers to them, innate, in order to really get them back at the top table of competitive, competing for the for the biggest trophy. And I'm just not sure he's that guy. I think he's the guy that can deliver a cup. I think he's the guy that can deliver possibly top four. I don't think there's much more, much more than than that to him. If I'm being honest,
0: yeah, they're a they're a strange team. In in if you look at it statistically, you know what is more telling. You know, 13 games without defeat or only 13 wins in 31 Premier League games. They've had 10 clean sheets in that unbeaten run, yet David De Gea has been getting pelters, hasn't he? Where, one, was that criticism? I noticed that, that that Solskjaer defended De Gea and, and essentially said, look, he's going to be my number one next season as well, however promising Henderson might be.
1: Is that wise? Uh, I, I don't really know what else he can say, Mike. I don't, whether it's wise or not, I'm not sure. But politically, David De Gea is on an enormous contract. He's one of the highest paid players in the division. I think he, he might even be the highest paid player in the division. It's very, very difficult if Soschart throws him under a bus now. Because at, at the very worst, if Man United are to replace him, they've got to find a market for De Gea. They've got to, you know, he's got to recover his form before he leaves the club in any kind of profitable way. So it's difficult. I mean, I... I and, and also, I think we've covered this before. I don't I don't see a landing spot for De Gea. Like, if you want to move him on, where are you moving on, him on to? He doesn't go anywhere. He's not going to Real Madrid or Barcelona. He's not going to Bayern Munich. They, you know, they've obviously got Manuel Neuer and um, Alexander Neubel as of next season. He's not going to Juventus. Wojciech Chesney has just really recovered his career. He looks like an excellent goalkeeper. So I, I'm not sure what the solution is. But then at the same time, might you, you're kind of, for the sake of the rest of the season... This is what Ferguson would have done. You know, David Hare can punt three into his own net on a Saturday afternoon and Solskjaer still has to say he's the best in the world because Man United are paying him like he is the best in the world and he's got no, no room to manoeuvre. And, and so yeah, I'll, be, I'll be critical of him in, um, in some capacity, but he was certainly... Solskjaer, that, that, that's actually a, a quite a good general point. Solskjaer was certainly paying attention to uh, Ferguson's media handling over the years. Like in terms of how he defends players, also the subtleties with how he talks to players. Like if, if he's talking about like a, a young sort of 20, 25 year old player, he'll always refer to them as a boy, which is which is a Fergusonism, let's be honest. So in terms of his character and his behaviors and his, his kind of his tactics in public, he's quite smart. He's smarter than people think he is. And so, you know, whatever the question marks are against the football, that's certainly um, so. That, certainly something he has in his favour. I should have had more coffee, shouldn't I?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mike, just on the De Gea point, can I just quickly yeah. mention the fact that whilst I'm not sh- not convinced that De Gea is the, the solution or the answer next year for United, and I think it'll be hard to get rid of him for all the reasons that Seb has just given, I'm not entirely convinced that Henderson is the answer either. And i tell you why, because I think it's easier for Henderson to perform as he's, as he's been performing at Sheffield United... Being number one for Manchester United is a whole different kettle of fish. And let's not even forget, despite his season at Sheffield United, he has made some quite high profile mistakes down there as well. What I think the best solution for Man United next season would be, would be to bring Henderson in as number two to put that pressure on De Gea. I think De Gea is a victim of someone that's got no real pressure. Romero is a good goalkeeper, but he's never going to be a number one at United I think United need to bring him back in and Henderson back in to apply, be that shadow over to her to say, listen, if you keep messing up on, the, on being on this decline, I'm here. And super briefly, on those two stats you flagged as well regarding United's form, I think that says a lot in itself because those two stats for a big club, neither are impressive. If you're meant to be a big club, none of those two stats are particularly impressive as far as I'm concerned. So that says a lot about, I think, maybe how we view Manchester United and an Oligon of Solskjaer, Manchester United uh, today.
0: Yeah, further forward, there are signs that it's being knitted together. Anthony Martial now 19 goals in all competition, his first hat-trick, United's first hat-trick since 2013. Marcus Rashford against Sheffield United, two assists Seems a bit of a daft question, but have United got enough goals in them, Seb?
1: I think they might do because you, you touched on Martial there, and I I see a slightly different player in him at the moment. He's always been very very gifted. I don't think that's a secret. But one of the the sort of the strategies this season with him specifically has been to get him heading for the near post more often, scoring the kind of the a more typical kind of centre forward's goal. I think you're seeing that. I think it's sort of he's he's a, technically, you know, he's an outstanding footballer. But I think sometimes he could be guilty of being a little bit passive in games, particularly when he was used from like a wide forward role. Now, I mean, I, I know it's a very small sample, so let's um, let's not get carried away. But if you add in, for instance, the goal he scored against Stamford Bridge before the lockdown, that near post header across Kepa, brilliant header. And some of the, the couple of the goals that he scored last night, you're seeing a more instinctive style of play. And so I wonder if you were if you were to if you were to tune Martial in to be an, a, a more orthodox number nine, I think he could score an awful lot of goals. I mean, volume wouldn't be a problem if you could if you could fit him into the tapestry well enough. If you could serve him. I I mean I I started probably started the year thinking that United need to spend heavily on on a on a nine like a you know a, a, a not a replacement for Lukaku because he wasn't a success at Old Trafford, but that kind of player you know, a focal point in your formation. Now, I'm not so sure. And that's that's actually a credit to Solskjaer. And it's definitely a credit to Martial, who, who looks rejuvenated. I mean, consider what, I mean, in, in every sense, what he was under Mourinho. Unhappy, underperforming, wanting an exit by all accounts. And now he's starting to look like the player they bought from Monaco.
0: Let's look at Nor- Norwich. You quite rightly dismissed them, Jordan. Um, <laughs> and they do look, you know, you know they, they do look nailed on for relegation. The Cup's all they've got left. I suppose the question, again, this might be seen as harsh, but are enough questions being asked of Daniel Farker?
2: Uh, yes, I think there are actually. I, I I think that Norwich came into the season with a policy where they wasn't going to try and spend their way to stay in the league. You know, we've seen in previous seasons that can and, and you know can, can work and cannot work. That there, It might have been a policy whereby they may have expected to go back down. But that if we're going to go back down, we're not going to go down with a huge wage bill, as we've seen with other clubs that have gone down before. Let's not forget the first third of the season anyway. Norwich started the season pretty well. And they were getting quite a lot of credit for the style of football, sticking to their principles. Some people called it naive, but they, they didn't have the worst start to, 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 to the season. I think if you're going to question Daniel Farquhar, you have to then back it up by saying, well, what should he be doing? If the club are not going to be spending their way to stay in the league, like Aston Villa tried to do, for example, well, he, 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 I think with the players that he's got... I don't know. I don't know if it's much more that he could have done with the cards that he's been dealt. Personally, I don't think they've been shocking. I've heard the phrase before. They've they're the best worst team in Premier League history, and I think that's a fair shout. Bit of a bit of a of um, compliment that I mean, you, you don't really want to have. But uh, no, I, I think questions have been asked of him, and I, I'm, I'm not sure what what else you could have expected of 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 him to do with that particular squad.
0: You know the, the focus is always on the coaches, isn't it? Now there is a lot of focus at the moment on Mikel Arteta. Arsenal are at Sheffield United in the cup. The problems are growing. Let's put it like that. Let's look at the the issue in the round here, Seb. We all know that there's a. The reality is that there are power networks in modern football. You've only got to look at you know Mendes at Wolves, for instance. But there are huge question marks over recruitment strategy at Arsenal and a lot of people are murmuring about the influence of Keir Jurabchan, the agent you know he has every right to do his business but if you look at Arsenal there is a club you, you, you just the mood music is very discordant isn't it
1: you know what troubles me most Mike is let's, let's simplify this so as far as I'm um aware and please jump in and correct me if you guys if, if, if I get this wrong so we've got Eddie Gaspar sporting director we've got San Sanlihi who has a uh, recruiting function as well and according to reports seems to prefer to deal with a very small group of agents and likes to do his transfer business in a kind of face to face way then you've got this sort of dying analytics department which Jason Rosenfeld left uh, over sort of the uh, the lockdown to go and work with Arsene Wenger at FIFA now, who is the ultimate authority in this group? It's not Arteta. Arteta is just part of a... Um, so, apparently, at, at Arsenal, the club decides which, which positions they're going to strengthen. And Arteta, his influence comes in defining the type of player that they want to fit into that hole. Now, he, that's, a, that's a pricey of the situation. So, who do I blame when it goes wrong? And Jurad I think he, he prefers the term advisor rather than agent, apparently. Well, why, why, why is why is he your kind of your proxy spokesperson during this situation? We've got all kinds of unjustified new contracts being signed, and I'm hearing a lot from somebody who isn't employed directly from the club. That's never, ever in the history of the game been a sign of good health, a sign of organizational good health. So, what Arsenal need before we start worrying about what Mikel Arteta is going to be tactically, you know, what his long term trajectory is as a head coach in Europe. You need some, you need some simplification. I need to know who I blame when something goes wrong. If I'm an Arsenal fan, I want to know who I'm holding responsible, and I don't. I, I wouldn't know that. I'm a Tottenham fan, so I can point and laugh. But if I was an Arsenal fan, then I, I want that accountability. Surely it's like um, it's like anything. Like a, a football club is like you know a, a FTSE one hundred company or a political party. You have to be able to give supporters the, the opportunity to ask questions to the right people through whatever medium. And, and I have no idea who that would be at Arsenal at the moment. And that's quite a strange position to be in.
0: Yeah, you know they're acting. You know, if I'm charitable, counterintuitively. Because you know, we live in an age of, you know, increasing the, the the analytical element of recruitment is is very important and will continue to be so. You know, there was some talk about Arsenal going for the Dortmund model: buy young, add value, develop. Well, if that was the case, why not? Right, trust why get rid of Mislintat if you're? Yes, a us that. Who who actually, you know, incidentally, is going up from Bundesliga two with Stuttgart this weekend. So there is strange, it is really strange. I was just, Jordan, I want to get your view on the contract situation because, you know, a number of questions around what's happened there at Arsenal this week. David Luiz, why? Why another year? Cedric, jury was out on him at Southampton, injured throughout his six-month loan. Suddenly there's a four-year deal on the table. Gamble, at best marry limited evidence to give him four years probably meanwhile no new contract as yet although Arteta says it's in the pipeline for bakari saka who they should be moving heaven and earth to keep what
2: what's going on what's the logic to all that it's an absolute mess mike absolute mess i think the reason we start with david louise that he's been given a contract is twofold i think one I think alongside the other defenders that they've signed in this, this week is a sign to me as an Arsenal fan, I suppose the football world, that Arsenal are broke. Arsenal have no money to spend this summer. And I think they're just doing the numbers game. They're thinking, well, we're not going to be in Europe next season, more than likely. We can't go out and buy an Opelman Karno or a a player of that calibre. Let's just, you know, solidify the centre-backs that we do have. So we go into the new season with, I believe it's five. So Socrates, Louise, Holding, Mustafi... Who am I forgetting? One more, Mary. Um, you got Chambers in there as well, and Chambers yeah. as well. Yeah. So yeah. That, so Harding, Mavropanos is is Mav- out on loan, yes. isn't he? There you go. So that's the pool of defenders. They're thinking, right? Worst case, we know the start of next season. We've got five slash six centre backs. I think they're all rubbish. I think they're all none of them are good enough. Personally, <laughs> Yeah, they They're all rubbish. But I think it's it's the thing of we don't have any money to spend. Let's just let's just lock down the ones that we do have. I often hear this thing about David Luiz where. He's good behind the scenes. He's good in the dressing room. Well, listen, if it's it's keeping the troops, you know, lively and and spirits high, pay me some money. I'll do it for a few hundred quid. Pay me. I'll come in. I'll G them up. I'll make them laugh. I'll sing a song. I'll do a dance. I can do that completely. That's, That's not... Why are we... Arsenal are such a mess right now. The, 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 these deals, for me, just show, as you mentioned, they're, f- they're, not, they're not short-term deals apart from... They're four-year deals they're given now, on players that either have injury problems or haven't even kicked a ball for Arsenal. Arsenal, as a football club, are in re- a real, real bad shape. And this whole mess of this last week, Man City, Brighton, and the subsequent contracts we've seen uh, being offered out, show me one thing. And it's the thing that Arsenal fans need to understand. Arsenal are not a big club. They are no longer a big football club. Big football clubs don't lose their best players every season. Big football clubs compete for the best football players in Europe. Big football clubs don't consistently lose to the bottom half teams on a regular basis. Arsenal are not a big club. And until they realise that and the fan base realise that, they're going to always be disappointed, heartbroken, and in this sense, confused. So your cup's
0: half empty, you <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, a couple
2: of
0: drops you know, in it, there. It, 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 it's it said you know that Arteta is probably you know almost in the right place at the wrong time, and or he he should have actually maybe kept his powder dry, waited for
2: Everton to turn up. You know he's got a whole raft of problems. He could walk. Sorry to cut you, mic. It wouldn't surprise me. It's a big shout, but it really wouldn't surprise me if between now and the first game of next season, he walks. I think he may think this is going to harm my managerial career. What the hell have I walked into? It really wouldn't shock me if he decided that, nah, if I can't get any money, if I can't get players out the door, your Mikatarians, your Ozil, your Mustafis, your Louise's, what the hell are you doing to my career? I could see him walking. That's an
0: interesting one. He's got to sell. He's got to, what
1: he's saying. He's got to sell Gwendozi as well, hasn't he? I mean, Gwendozi—he's a riddle, isn't he? I mean, he—he's one of those guys that sort of he—he—he he, he shows up when he at the moment that just I mean, let's let, let, let's 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 kind of let's look at the Brighton game because I, I think that was kind of him as caricature. So when the final whistle goes, he's the first player fronting up Neil Malpai. But when the game's on the line, when that pass is played in towards Connolly, which Malpai runs in on. He's the Arsenal player that doesn't cut out. If you look at the footage, that is a ball that you should block. You should be never, ever allowing a pass that simple into your, into an opposition centre-forward in the 90-what third minute. I think there's a player there. I think he's very talented. Um, I've married into a, a family of, of Arsenal fans, and they good all man, rate him. Good it. man, yeah. good Well, man. I don't know about that. But <laughs> 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 they all rate him and, I, and I, kinda, I see their point, because I think he's a really good passer of the ball. I just think... I think he's just very immature. I think he's a young man that needs to grow up. I mean, we, we talked about, in a, in a previous episode, we talked about Trent Alexander-Arnold, 21 years old, world at his feet, already European champion. Guy has a mural in his own city and you see the way he carries himself and you compare that to the way Guendouzi carries himself um, the dif- on the pitch but the difference bluster. is
2: I agree completely with what, what, what Seb just said I think there's a player in there I think yeah. that um I think there's a guy that but I do agree also with the Brighton point that he was he was an absolute mess on that game but I think Guendouzi is a victim of what's happened at Arsenal for many years a young talented player that has been elevated way too soon because he has no generals around him Jack Wiltshire was the same we, we, we flood the these youngsters, these teenagers, in and within two years, they're the main centre midfielder. How, how can you be at twenty twenty one the main midfielder in your team rather than being next to a Vieira or next to a Keane? And I think if we're not careful, they are going to lose another talented young player. One he needs to grow up, but I think part of that growing up would be next to a senior pro because say, listen this is what we're going to do now. We need to mature a little bit and just talk him through games, bring him on for the last 10 minutes of games. He's our main midfielder. How has that happened? And I think that is where, I think we won't see the fulfilment of his potential.
1: You know what's really interesting, guys, is that I wonder whether, Jordan said earlier, like that, that Arsenal aren't a big club anymore. And um, I kind of disagree because I think they're, they're a club that's still... They still have a huge profile, and you st- if you play for that club, you still exist in a very bright spotlight. Now I wonder whether, for someone like Guendouzi and the, the, his personality traits, like as Jordan said, he's kind of come in and he's almost become like a senior figure in the, in the, dress, in the team. He's become a, when he, when he first arrived, he was someone a lot of fans clamoured around and said, this is a really good player, this is our future. Now, for, for, some, kind, for, for some types of, of, of footballer, that's a problem especially when they're young because you become um you become the big man before you've actually achieved anything and i see kind of that those sort of behavioral traits in him now he the way he carries himself is like a is someone that's sort of three premier league trophies down and you know who's been a european champion and who you know is a a veteran international that's kind of that seems to be his demeanor on the pitch and i wonder whether that is in a kind of abstract way in a sort of very tenuous way a consequence of Arsenal's own situation, whereby you know when when you when when a, when a player like that comes in, there's a desperation, there's a sort of there's this there's this tendency to um, prematurely promote them and put them in a position where people think, right, this is this is a guy now, this is a star of the game, well before they're actually able or capable of handling that kind of attention.
0: I think what we're doing here is we're talking about a club which has lost its soul or lost its identity in, in probably in the way that West Ham have. You know, you've got. Owners who, you know, are basically looking at the business plan rather than anything else. There is an undercurrent amongst the supporters that they are being taken for granted at great cost. Given all that, this might be another painful one for you to answer, Jordan. But uh, at this can point, you see- I'm numb. <laughs>
2: <laughs> can, can you see Sheffield United doing a number on them? I can. I really can. I didn't understand the outrage and the shock to the defeat against Brighton last week. Brighton, I, I believe I'm right in saying the last five games against Brighton, Arsenal have only won once and I think we've lost two of those five. Going back to the United, Sheff, Sheffield United, Man United game, we were we were praising Solskjaer and United's performance in that game. I think a lot of that was because Sheffield United's legs have gone. They just seemed, I think that they're one of the big victims of of the lockdown. They just seem to have really lost huge momentum and their legs have gone and they enabled United to have so much space to play the football they did. I think this is a really interesting and important game for Arsenal because on one side, I'm saying that I think Sheffield United's legs have gone and in theory, it could be a good time to play Sheffield United. But I think Sheffield United will be thinking equally, this is a good time to play Arsenal because they're in absolute pieces and this could be the game that, gets our season back on track and enables us to finish the season strong. I think Chris Wilder, like a lot of football uh, managers now, like I think Graham Potter did with Brighton on the weekend, tell their teams, just stay in the game for an hour. Just stay in the game for an hour. Even if you're 1-0 down, we'll take that. It's Arsenal. Just be in the game. So I genuinely feel that this is a really interesting game for Arteta and for Arsenal, because if this slide continues and they get knocked out of the FA Cup... Then I, I, I don't I don't know what where Arsenal go from there because an FA Cup for a few teams that are left in this competition could prove a bit of a salvation in terms of saving saving and masking a season for many teams. So I think Sheffield United, I think for both teams this is a good and bad fixture to have if you like.
0: Yeah, no, Leicester another team who've who've not been impressive in in the restart. Okay, it's very small sample size, two matches. They're at home to Chelsea on Sunday. You know, I looked at them, they'd seem to me, Seb, to just need a bit more creativity and probably a better balance in midfield just to restore their momentum.
1: Well, I mean, if the rumours to be believed, they're on the verge of doing that. I think they will uh, complete transfer for William Carvalho from Betis within the next few days. He's a sort of different profile to anything else that they have for a complete sort of footballer. Looks a little bit like an accountant. <laughs> um, which is which is just is a funny one. He turn up with a briefcase. Yeah, he does. He's, he's, he's got some um, very neat pencil thin moustache. He just he looks like uh, yeah, he just he looks like someone that you would meet in an accountancy firm, but a really good footballer. So he'll drop in and presumably play alongside Wilfred and Didi next season. I wonder, Mike. I, I've got I've got a few concerns about Leicester. I think this is what it looks like when you know that your Premier League season is secured. It's very difficult, as we found out over the years. You cannot motivate players out of that in a, in a sort of, uh, you know, flicking the switch sort of way. And I wonder at the same time whether, I mean, we always talk about focusing on certain competitions and we you know, talk about the Champions League, FA Cup. I don't know if it's that easy. I don't know if with Chelsea on the horizon at the weekend and, you know, with an FA Cup there to be won, let's face it, whether Brendan Rodgers can restore the kind of the sharpness of the creativity. Like the urgency, like you see it all over the pitch. I don't think there's any one problem with Leicester. You see all these sort of, you know, there's defensive errors in there. I mean, I know they didn't score it, but the 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 penalty conceded to Brighton was sloppy. I thought the equaliser conceded to Watford was. I mean, you shouldn't be conceding ninety third minute equalisers to centre backs with bicycle kicks. It just shouldn't happen. That is not the symptom of a good football team that's sort of you know behaving as it should. So I wonder. I mean, I I think it's a kind of you know, I don't want to say that they're on the beach, but I, it's a, it's a powering down. It's less dramatic than what's happened to Sheffield United because Leicester are much more talented, so they can survive in a sort of a, um, you know, at, at, at a higher level. But it's a similar situation, I think.
0: Yeah, Seb mentions the, you know, the level of talent, and you know, you look at that team, you've got players who are routinely linked elsewhere, you know, in Didi, Madison, Chilwell... Jordan are you surprised there's been no real push for Kasper Schmeichel and where do you think he ranks amongst the best goalkeepers in the Premier League
2: I'm not surprised because I think the the counter question then would be where would he go mm. so Liverpool City Chelsea Possibly Chelsea and maybe even Spurs. I've never, ever been a, been been convinced about Lloris, even when he was playing well. Um, so I guess there's a couple of clubs there that are possible options. I, I feel like the boat may have, may have been missed with Kasper Michael. I think the time to maybe try and get him out of Leicester would have been maybe just after they'd won the Premier League when he was at the peak of his powers. I still think he's a top keeper. I would rank him yeah, top. Top eight, definitely top ten. I, I I'm a big fan of Patricio at Wolves. I, I think Leno is a good, a very good keeper. I don't think he's in that top tier. And then you've got the top two of Edison and Allison at City and Liverpool. I would put I would I would put Schmeichel on par with maybe David De Gea now. But that says more about I guess about David De Gea than it does about Schmeichel, if I'm being honest. Mm.
0: The final quarter
2: final, uh,
0: Newcastle, Manchester City. Let's look at Newcastle. You know, we can't detach any discussion about the team without we we look at the ownership and, you know, the psychodramas in court about involving people who are involved with the, with the takeover. Are there just too many question marks about that club
1: for them to actually do anything? This season, yeah, I'd say so. Which is a real shame because supporters have been waiting an awful long time to get to this, to to sort of have a a competitive cup run. Because if you remember, sort of um, Ashley's Newcastle at their very very worst, there was this terrible disregard for cup competitions. I think even you know back in the day, Derek Lambias was even on record saying that you you couldn't survive if you took the cup seriously, which is just nonsense. I don't know; it seemed like a a backwards justification for for not developing the squad properly. I think you're right, Mike. I well, I mean, I, I even even if Okay, even if uh, Amanda Staveley wasn't in court at the moment even if the takeover wasn't happening is that team actually good enough to win the FA Cup I think they I think the stars really need to align because I don't I'm not convinced by their ability to attack properly I think they can defend quite well I think they can break quite well I think if you put them up against a team of power a team with let's say Manchester United's resources and firepower at the top of the pitch I think they've got issues I'd even say the same thing about, you know, if they were to come up against Arsenal in a semi-final, for instance, because I don't think they're built to sit and break against a team that have a, you know, for instance, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at the top of the pitch. So it's difficult. But uh, I mean, I, what what what's in their future, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I wonder what it's like for some of those players, too, because if you, were, if you were someone like, for instance, I don't know, Matt Ritchie, good Premier League player, probably not going to survive long term if the takeover goes ahead. And if the money comes into the club, I wonder how you view it mentally. Like, is this a sort of a last dance situation that, you know, a chance to to leave the club with a medal or some sort of form of achievement? I don't know. I mean, it's 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 such a rare scenario that it's very difficult to um, to predict. There is a
0: a, a distinctive love of a certain type of player at Newcastle. You know, Sam Maximum is probably you know, really fits into that, you know, the, the, the you know, the Geordie ethic, if you like. They love, they love, you know, the generalers. They, they love people who actually entertain, in averted commas. To be, to be honest, it's a bit like, it's a bit like having a, a rascal shirt, isn't it? You love the colour and you love the cut of it. But if you're wearing terrible trousers, it doesn't really work. And I think that's probably what it's like with Sam Maximum. He's a decent player, you know, very inter- interesting player to watch. But frankly, where's the end product? You know, I know that's an old cliche, but where is it? What do you think, Jordan? You just described my
2: fashion sense there in one, <laughs> so thank you very much. Um, um, but I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think there are there's lots of um, elements of an exciting player, but, uh, you know, how much, how much can you package that to say, OK, this guy, I know I'm going to get this from him. I, I don't know. But I, I think maybe some players like him, we shouldn't try to package too much I think we just have to just accept him for what he is I don't think he's the sort of guy that's going to get to a, a top six club but I think he's the guy that can have an impact a, a, a top 12 club uh, as, as Newcastle probably are now so uh, yes they would they would love to have more end-products out of him than they're they're probably getting I just think if you're going to have a player like that and keep him you have to accept that one week he's going to score you a hat-trick and get an assist the next week he's going to miss two two open goals and I think Newcastle is a club that as a a fan base I think in a really weird way would accept that the entertainment levels almost match the output of, of what they get. And that's not to be patronising and so say they don't they don't want to win anything. But I think that a team like Newcastle would, would, would warmly accept someone like him for all of his possible flaws as well. I think Almiron, very briefly, is the bigger problem. I think he's a championship player. I think he's re- I think he's a bit bigger problem. That um, he has nice, neat touches, but he's lightweight. He has no end product as well. I think he'd be the one. If I was a Newcastle supporter or manager, would slightly concern me going going into next season.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a final point. Let's look at the FA Cup as an institution. Yeah, and I'm, I'm a great believer in an FA Cup, and. I suppose, you know, because it's coming back at a concentrated stage of the season, there will be a lot more attention on it. Just want to get your views on it, guys. How important is it? Is it still valuable or is it a piece of tradition that like, you know, we talked about the League Cup maybe being realigned in some some way because of the extra demands on people? Is it something worth protecting, I suppose?
1: Absolutely. I mean, importance kind of splits into two categories, doesn't it, Mike? Is it important to me as a fan? Yes. Is it important in the kind of hierarchy of achievements in the game today? Not really. You don't remember Cup Final days in the way that I used to when I was a child. You don't look forward to them in the same way. You don't really remember season to season who lost the FA Cup Final. You don't have these stories anymore but as an occasion as a kind of in terms of fulfilling like traditional part of football which is uh, every dog can have its day you know you can you need to have that straight knockout competition because i think as time goes on league competition is built to uh, you know it's built to glorify the teams that are owned by sovereign wealth funds and who can as we're seeing at the moment you know bring on five kevin de bruyners in the 75th minute the fa cup isn't like that i think I mean, I, just for sake of prediction, this isn't based on any inside knowledge or anything, but I think the League Cup is on its last legs. I think the coronavirus will see to it. I think there'll be re- a renegotiation between the Premier League and the Football League over this. And I think in a funny way, that might restore a little bit of the luster of the FA Cup because you need to have it. You need to have those weekends where you know, you've know you got John Motson wearing a sheepskin, sco- a sheepskin coat and you've got you know local ground staff who have been drafted in as you know from from normal jobs as school janitors clearing snow off a pitch in the middle of january that staff is part of the foundation that's the foundation block of english football these things have are an integral part of the history and for as long as the fa cup exists that will still remain the case so it's great whether whether it has any cachet that's a really different question um and I suppose if we were to be having this conversation in 10 years' time, it's an even different one, even more different one, because who knows what the texture of European football will look like by then. But I still enjoy it. And that's really what matters. I'll still watch it. So it really is as simple as that sometimes.
0: So, uh, Jordan, will you be out in the streets with your rascal shirt and your Arsenal scarf uh, <laughs> when they win at Wembley? Does it Does it matter to you, not just as an observer of the game,
2: but also, you know the kid who grew up with the game. I think to many people, the FA Cup starts to matter when you get to the latter stages. It doesn't, you don't really care about it until you get to the quarterfinals and all of a sudden you've got a chance of winning it. It's the most important thing in, you know, in the world. And as I said earlier on, I think it can it can act as a saviour for your season. I think if Arsenal were to win the FA Cup, I think if Chelsea to win it as well um united that would put a plaster over you know uh, for united and for arsenal definitely an average to poor season for me personally i I don't don't, it doesn't resonate with me as much as it used to i don't get excited about the early rounds anymore as i used to Uh, you know if you to ask me the last five fa cup winners i I wouldn't be able to tell you now i'm not advocating that it should be scrapped but i if I'm being honest, it I, I don't care for it as much as as much as I, as I used to. However, I think that probably says more about where we are in in the current football climate of of the we're in the Champions League era, we're in the you know the, the glitz and glamour and the money era where the FA Cup just isn't really a part of that. And if you were to lose the FA Cup, what does that say about a, you know a, a cornerstone of English football's heritage? So while I wouldn't be in favour of scrapping the FA Cup, I. I if if it was scrapped I wouldn't be shedding too many tears
0: well I suppose you know I'm an unashamed football romantic I still adore 3 p.m kickoffs on a Saturday the smell of onions from the burger vans black boots all that stuff and in that context I'm really looking forward to this weekend I think it should be a good one and I hope you enjoy it too So thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast and have a good weekend.